Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Praise the Lord. Amen. I can just stay here all day. Praise God. It's such a great honor and privilege to pastor not only beautiful people, but I get to pastor blessed people. Amen. So look at yourself and tell yourself you are beautiful and you are blessed. On. You gotta, when you look in the mirror and you get up in the morning time, first thing you gotta tell yourself before you brush your teeth is I'm beautiful and I'm blessed. Amen. Amen. Tell yourself I'm looking at a winner. Come on. Praise the name of the Lord. I'm looking at a winner. Yes. Amen. And there is, I believe that there is an anointing to win. I really do. And um, I believe that it's on you just need to believe it and receive it and your life is going to change amen one of the things that I always strive to do and I always desire to do this is to see God's perspective in every situation it is not always easy but it is joy to look at things from God's perspective so I may be classified as someone who has a personality that always sees the bright side of things. But I hope it's more just a personality. I hope it's a perspective that has been cemented in my heart and in my mind that I want to see things from God's perspective. And let me encourage you this week and through this sermon series that you're going to tell yourself when you get up in the morning time and after you told yourself that you're blessed and beautiful, you're going to tell yourself, I'm going to see things from God's perspective. I'm going to see things how God sees things. Because he has the final word on everything that I do. And I promise you, fear is going to subside. I was listening to uh, Pastor David Jeremiah. He was speaking on a message entitled, I believe, Live confident in a chaotic world it's I believe that's the title of his book and he gives 10 things 10 strategies there's that word again that confirm what God put in my spirit as we look at the strategic season it says 10 strategies on how we can not just weather the storm but literally calm the storm huh right and one of the things he said which was interesting he said the word calm there's no definition for it, we describe it. So we say calm means lack of something or the elimination of something. And it says that there is an instrument called the Buford scale or this instrument. And what it does, it measures the wind. And so calm is classified as anything that's under a wind of more than five miles an hour. Okay, or it might be under one mile an hour. So what they're saying is that to be calm means the wind succeeded it, it subsided and how many know that Jesus lived the strategic life I mean he really did it's impossible with the Gospels to look at the Gospels and see what the writers wrote about Jesus as they lived with him as they uh, were leading uh, Jesus was leading them and as Jesus said let's get to the other side that's in the Bible it says let's get to the other side because there was work for them to do because Jesus had spent time with the Father and he got a strategic download. He said, okay, let's go now. And so he's moving based on what the Spirit of God has told him. And the Bible says that suddenly a storm came up. 
So it tells us that in your obedience to live in a strategic season, storms may erupt in your life. Okay? Now these were professional fishermen. So they would have looked at the natural and would have said, well, let's go because everything looks calm. The wind is not blowing past the speed that would for us to change and say it's not calm. Let me say that again. In their natural eyes, they looked and they were able from their perspective to say that the wind is not blowing exceedingly, so therefore it's calm, let's go. So they made the decision out of obedience to get in the boat and they're going. And it says once they're suddenly, all of a sudden, excuse me, all of a sudden, the atmosphere changed. And so it says the wind was hitting and water was coming into the boat and it says it was filling up the boat. And if you're familiar with the story, what was Jesus doing? He was asleep. So there's four things I want to share with you about a strategic season. When you know you're in a strategic season, there's four things that happen. And hopefully through every Sunday when we gather, these four things are going to manifest. The first thing is this. There's always a plan. When you live in a strategic season, you are not absent of a plan. This particular month and next month, or in the season called summer, most people are planning their vacation. And most people spend more time planning their vacation for a week or two weeks than they do planning their life. They'll spend more time contacting the hotel, making sure everything's in line because they want to enjoy their vacation and they don't have any issues go on in this uh, or on their vacation. So what we must understand is to live in a strategic season, there must always be a plan. God knows exactly what he's doing with your life. Trust him with it. So the second thing now is once you get God's plan, you now need to make that personal to you. So a strategic, a strategic season then is personal. Someone say personal. Okay. It's your encounter with God. Watch this. God doesn't want us to have experiments with the things of the world. Because if you experience things in the world, you get a formula that develops fear. What he wants us to do is to encounter him and your faith will be built. Not because you're experiencing life or, or you're, you're, you're an experiment, but because you're having an encounter with Jesus Christ. Okay? And that's important because religion is birth of the people's experience. And if you don't know the plan, you then will be deceived by the enemy and you will make that thing become your personal God. And you will miss it on what God has for you. Okay? So personal is critical. So in your strategic season, you know, God is speaking to me personally. The third thing is this. It then becomes prophetic for your home, for your community, for your city, and most importantly, for your country. In the formation of this nation, it was a prophetic move of God. Even though it was planned, even though it was personal, because many of the founders risked their life when they signed that Declaration of Independence. They knew they were signing a document and saying, my life is going to be destroyed. But they knew, and some of them didn't even understand it. Because I would believe, not every founding father were Christian, but what they understood was this, that there was a sovereign God who was in control of everything. 
And so therefore, it was prophetic. So America then is on a prophetic calendar of God. And if we want to know the direction that America is going, we can't look to politics. We've got to look prophetically and get what? The plan and make it personal. Then we'll be able to speak prophetically and give direction to the nation. Does that make sense? And then the fourth thing is this, when you're in a strategic season, is that you will live your life in a practical way that brings the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a dark world. So you now will practice what you know was prophetic, which you received from a personal encounter with God because you got God's plan. You got God's plan. And every single one of us on the side of my voice and everyone who's watching this uh, service, we must make a decision right now that we will live a strategic life and we will live in a strategic season. Does that make sense? So that's what we want to do for these next couple of Sundays. We want to look at what it means to be in a strategic season. So I want you to get your Bibles as we begin and go to Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46. And let's hear what God has for us in the few moments we have together. Okay? So you're going to have to take notes today. All right? I'm going to be very purposeful in, uh, in sharing this with you because this is, this is groundwork. Okay? So a strategic or to be strategic is defined as this. It is to carefully design or plan. So it's a carefully designed or planned to serve a particular purpose or advantage. Strategic. Most companies, when they come together with the leadership, they have what they call a strategic planning session. And it's at this strategic planning session that they decide on how to maximize the resources that they have to be more efficient as a company to get an advantage, normally what we call profit. So every organization, if they are healthy, if they are smart, if they want to make an impact, they gather together and they have what we call a strategic planning session. Sometimes they call an expert in that particular field to come in and to share with them and to expound to them their experience, their knowledge to help the company succeed. So to have a strategic plan means to a carefully designed plan for what purpose? So that there can be an advantage, an advantage, okay? So God now wants us to live strategically. He wants us to understand his design his plan, his purpose for our life so we can advance. Someone say advance. So guess what? In God's mind, he doesn't want you to enter December 31st and step into 2017 and wonder how'd you get here. He wants us to be strategic to know that we're stepping into what we already seen here in July. Right? And so if we understand that, then we see that God is orchestrating things. Why? Because it's been designed, it's been planned, it's been purposed for our advantage. 
That's why we began by saying walking separate from the love of God. That's to our advantage. Well, tribulation, can famine, can all these things. Paul named a bunch of things. And he says, out of all those things, we are more than conquerors. Why? Because we have a plan. Because we live strategic. We know what's going on. Okay? And so here's the reason why we can say that with such confidence. In Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10 and verse 11, here it is now that God is speaking to the nation of Israel. And one of the things that I realized in the scripture is that God is always talking to his people. The question is, are we listening? So before God brings a judgment on anyone, he always goes to the church first. And he tells the church, because you are going to be the voice I'm going to use, he goes to the church first, and he says, you got to live in alignment. you got to live strategically because I'm using you to bring forth my plan for humanity. What a great privilege and a great honor. He didn't say he's going to use the government. He didn't say he's going to use any other institution. He says, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. The called out one. Okay? And so because of that then, God is now dealing with this nation of Israel. And he begins in verse 1 and he's talking about why do you have all these other gods? And, and why do you build these idols? And why do you always have these things and think that those are things that can lead you, those things that can fill the emptiness in your life? I read an article this week. And it was talking about this new movement that's taking place. It's this new uh, movement among, among ladies to, to gather together and to, to have a religious experience. And, and so most of them who are coming together, or this particular individual that they were writing about, uh, enjoyed this movement because she said, I got burnt in the church when I was young. And because of their, as she called it, uh, ultra-conservative or, 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 or their stance on, on, on principles, that they don't allow certain things to come in, that offended me, so I left the church. And here it is now, she says, I still had this need to, to be able to express myself. So she, she found other people, and, and they get together, and here's what they said. They said, all religion, all religion, no religion has the answer for all of life. So just pick and choose whatever you want. And as long as you are satisfied with that, that's okay. So if you want to meditate and, and, and do a, a, a Zen and you want to do whatever and you want to go to a Buddhist temple one day, but then next Sunday you feel led to go to another service, go and do that. And, and some of the things the pastor teaches on, I don't really agree, but then other things they talk about, I do agree. It's this whole thing that's just messed up. Just messed up. But that's not, that's not new to us. We see the children of Israel were doing all sorts of these things was picking and choosing and, and, and everything they were just picking. If it, if it felt good, let's just go ahead and do it. You can't live a strategic life living like that. Right? And so here he is now dealing with a nation of Israel. I hear people say, God, God is judging America. God's going to destroy America. Here's what I believe. I believe that God loves America. I really do. I really do. But more importantly, God loves his church in America. Right? I mean, judgment was nailed to the cross. And as long as we look to the cross, we can get the benefits and the beauty of knowing God. So we're going to pray that God will have mercy and bless America. 
I mean, my children live here, and, and hopefully, you know, their children's going to live here. And as long as the Lord shall tarry before he comes, we want their generation to know Jesus Christ and to, and to have a deep relationship with him. Can we believe, can, can we believe this morning, can we put our faith together and believe that revival can break out in the high schools, in the elementary schools this year? I mean, this year, as soon as school starts this year, that our generation is strategic, they know exactly what they need to do. They can tell the teacher, they can tell the principal, they can tell any government official, as long as I'm in the school, I can open my mouth and tell people about Jesus Christ. You may stop prayer, but you can't stop me from being a witness of the goodness and the grace of God. Right? But if they have no plan, if we're not giving our children a strategic plan for their life, if we're not telling them about the goodness and the grace of God, they're just walking in and the culture just sucks them in. It just consumes them. So we have to be deliberate. We have to actually be strategic in what we're doing. Raising a generation, parenting a generation. I don't know about you, but I have to say, God, give me the plan as a parent how to raise these two beautiful daughters you've given to me. Right? Because I don't want them to try to do all these things and try to think those can fill the void in their life. It only comes from Jesus. Right? So here it is now, he gets the verse, and he deals with all that. He says, here is why I have the authority to say this to you, nation of Israel, and gather in place. Here is why God has the authority to command us and to encourage us to live a strategic life. He says in verse number 10, he says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. He says, from the east I summon a bird of prey. From a far land a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. You got to be like a pit bull and bite onto that and never let go. You got to be like a pit bull and you got to bite onto that promise from God and never let go. Because when you live strategic, you understand that God is in control. I like how the King James says it. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times of things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executes my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken it, I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it. I will also do it. Okay, so I am by no means a chess master. By no means whatsoever. I think of all the board games, I think the chess is one of the, 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 the most beautiful because I just like how... The, the pieces are, are arranged and just, and how they look. And when I brought this here, many people were saying, hey, I have one at home, and I have one at home, and I'm like, okay, so it's an item that is in most people's home, is a, a, a chessboard. And one of the things that I've, I've read is this, is that a master chess player, he comes and he approaches the game with moves already advanced. He doesn't do them yet, but already in his mind, he already knows where he's going to go. So he knows the, 
He knows the end from the beginning and he knows what he's going to do because he's, he's forming a strategy on how to win. Okay? And so, what is interesting is that this is us. We are on this board game and we're just in position. And one of the things I read as well is, 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 is this. Is that when you, play, when, when you play chess, there are certain rules that you have to abide by. That's why the person who's playing knows you have to follow the rules. If you don't follow the rules, there are consequences. In other words, patterns start to develop if you don't follow the rules. A couple of years ago, I was going through an assessment. I was t to be trained to be able to uh, uh, read people's personality by, by doing an assessment. And one of the activities that we had to do was we were broken into groups and everybody was given certain rules and certain instructions for this game. They gave us some cards, they, they gave us cards and, and we were playing. And all of a sudden I noticed that um, people were just doing whatever they wanted to do. So I'm like, hey, no, 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 we, we, we have to follow the rules. Now they're videotaping me. And I didn't know this until the end when they were brought us all together. And I'm like, um, but how come you're doing that? You can't, you can't do that. My rules, when I found out, was different from their rules. What they did was they gave everybody different instructions. So finally people caught on. I didn't. They just <laughs> threw the rules out and said, I'm just going to play whatever I want to play. And they videoed him. At the end, he Bryce says, Rowan, I was watching you on the video. And you are still abiding by the rules that you were given. Even though everybody else was playing and realized everybody had different rules and just threw their rules out, you were still playing by the rules you were given. And here's what I told them. I said, you gave me the rules, man. And God has given us the rule book. They said, if you play by my rules, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. If you play by my rules, you will reap the benefits and you will win the game. And so in the game of chess, there are certain rules that you have to follow. And one of the things that the enemy did was this. He says, I'm going to break the rules. The rule was there was no other God but Jehovah God. And he will share his glory with nobody else. And no matter if you're gifted, it doesn't matter how much you are graced, God is God all by himself. There is no other God. There, there, there is no other God. There's, there's, there's no other God. When I say up, you say what? Down. When I say in, you say what? When I say God, what do you say? See, there's no other comparison. When you say God, there's no opposite. There's, there's no other. So when you say, oh my goodness. So when the Bible says, in the beginning, God, there was no opposite. So it's not like Satan is here and playing against God and God's like, oop, I wonder what move he's going to make next. There is nobody on the other side. Come on. So y'all think you're here and there's an enemy. Come on, somebody. No, 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 no. God is orchestrating because he purposed what he wants to do. Even the devil. Come on, somebody. Mm. See, God lives strategically. Satan lives by lies. 
He breaks the rules. God never breaks his rules. And that's why the enemy knew God is not a man that he shall lie. And so the enemy knew when he was tempting Jesus, he says, if you break the rules, I got you. Because I know God. He's not the opposite of me. Uh-uh. And the Bible says that, that one day he, he saw all that God made for him and he says, I want to be like the Most High. I, I, I want to I break the rules. I, I, I want to be like the Most High. And I don't want to live according to God's rule. Now, I want to live by my own rules. And someone and people are being influenced by the enemy live by their own rules. And as much as we have a constitution of these great United States, and when people get upset if we believe that they're breaking the, the Constitution, we need to get just as upset when people violate the rules of God. Because it's for their destruction if you don't follow the rules. When you continue to live a life not following the rules, you form patterns, ways of thinking, worldviews, and then all of a sudden now, God has to do a deeper work trying to pull those things out of you because he never designed you to be a pawn in the hand of the enemy. He designed you to be his child that loved and worshiped him and him alone. He says, I am God. There's no one else like me. Follow the rules. Now, rules without relationship equals rebellion. So God now says, here are my rules, but he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to be with you so you can get revelation. And look what the enemy did. Look what the enemy did. He goes, okay, so God now designed everything in Genesis. He creates everything, and he takes man, and he puts man in the right position. And he says, now I want you to rule. I want you to dominate. He said, I give you everything. Live strategically. Don't touch this tree. Don't eat, I should say, of this tree of good and evil. Don't eat it. That's my only rule. And so if you stay in relationship with me, you'll enjoy the blessing. And he sits there. And the enemy now comes and says, did God say, he goes right to the rules. Did God really say for you to, you know, not to do that? And we know the story. And so he goes, and what happened? He changed the rule. He changed the rule. Adam gave the enemy dominion. Dominion over his life. Man gave that because of disobedience. And as a nation, if we give ourselves over to the enemy, we will follow the rules and the pattern that the enemy has set out for us. But thanks be to God for his church. Thanks be to God. Now watch this in the few moments I have left, okay? I want to share this with you. This is real powerful here. Okay. So then he goes in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14 and verse 16. He does something interesting. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay? So here's what God is doing now. I believe with everything in me, here's what God is doing as we begin. God is moving strategically to reveal to us his plan of salvation. His plan of salvation. Okay? I got saved in 1988. That's when I gave my heart to Jesus. Okay? I can never forget that. Because there was a deep work that God did in bringing salvation to humanity. Okay? And it may seem simple once you get saved, but I'm going to tell you, it's a deep work that God is doing in your life, and you need to be aware of it and recognize it for what God wants to do. We've got to move past just the fact that I'm, if, if I die, I, I, I don't go to hell anymore. Okay? That's not what it's about. It's about invoking the will of God into the earth. That's what it's about, this plan of salvation. It's to take what the Father has and demonstrate it in the earth so that we can live a prosperous life. 
Okay? And so here it is now that God's first plan of salvation, the Bible says the earth was formed in, in, in darkness and it was void. And God says, let there be. He says, let there be. He declared a thing. Let there be light. Boom, there was light. And God was orchestrating work in the work of salvation. And he creates this beautiful place. He takes Adam. He puts him in this beautiful place. He says, rule and, and, and have dominion. But, but, but in verse 14, he says this now. He says, let, there, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let there be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights. The larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to do what governed the night. He also made the stars. He made the stars. Okay. So all week I've been praying, God, share with me not just a message, but a word for your people. And I'm not going to share as I put this away. He just told me I can share it now with you. God gave me a revelation that literally I was a Panera bread and I was about to run all over that place when he gave me this revelation. Okay. So I want you to pray into this with me because I'm chewing on this as, as he gives it to me. So this is fresh. This is fresh manna, okay, that I'm now giving to you. So I'm writing a book. It's called, the book I'm writing is called The Seven Laws That Influence Your Life. I looked at Isaac in Genesis chapter 26 and God showed me seven things. He says, Rowan, if people are not aware of these seven laws, their life will be influenced whether we're aware of it or not. Okay? Seven things he gave me. I'm, I'm not going to share those seven with you right now. We don't have time for that. So then I said, God, where is the word influence found in the Bible? I mean, Time Magazine has an article every year of the 100 most influential people. Right? And all the celebrities are on there. All the stars are in Time Magazine. 100 most influential people. You know, Hollywood and have the stars. So he says, and he made the stars. Now watch this. this is. So I looked and I searched above, and the word influence is only found one place. It's in the King James uh, version of the Bible. It's in Job 38, verse 31. One place. That's the only place that word influence in the King James is used. I said, hmm. I said, but God, you gave me seven things, seven laws. In Genesis 26, and I want to be true to your scripture. Well, if you read Genesis, if you read Job 38, verse 31, he's talking to Job. And Job, throughout the challenges that he was going through, God now starts to speak and he begins with creation. He brings it with his power. And in Job 38, he says, Let me go back to my creation. Let me tell you about the plan of salvation. And he starts to say, Job, where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did all this? And then he switches it now, and he says, let me ask you a question. Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? And in Job 38, verse 31, he says this to Job. Can you bind the sweet influences? And he names a star. Can't pronounce it, so I won't do it. He, he, he calls it this. What is it called? The Pleiades. Remember I said, God, you gave me seven laws. In Genesis 26. And I said, tell me where influence is found. He goes, go to Job 38 verse 31. Never for my life. That word right there, when you look it up, means the seven stars. Astronomers look at it and say, it's the seven, that's what it represents, the seven stars. 
I was like, oh my goodness, God. So what he was telling, it means a cluster. So the, 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 the Hebrew means a cluster. It means a grouping. It means to bind. So what God was telling Job, can you bind the influence that these seven stars give off? And so people who don't know God, who worship stars, they believe that the stars give off energy that influences the day. So therefore, they read a horoscope every day to live strategically. And God says, that's not what I'm telling you to do. That's not the influence. That's the pattern of the world. You broke the law. You broke the rules. But it didn't stop influence to be in existence. Oh God. So he's saying now, can you loose Orion? So now he's talking about two constellations. He said, he says, look up into the skies. Look up into the stars that mark the seasons, the days, and the calendars. And he said, look up to the stars. He says, can you bind Job and can you loose? Can you influence the seven stars? So Job, God tells Job, can you do this? Right? It goes on as well, and it says in the next verse, it talks about the zodiac. If you look up in the stars, and the 12 stars, Joseph had a dream about the stars. About the stars. Right? Now watch this now. Watch this. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus now comes on the scene and he's walking with them. He says, stop. He says, who do people say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. He goes, okay. Okay. But who do you say that I am? The plan? Now it's personal. Who do you say that I am? And then Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Give me 60 more seconds. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He turns to Peter and says, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. But my Father downloaded that to you. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatsoever you, and whatever you, he took what he said in Job, can you? And now says to the church, yes, you can. When you live a strategic life, the revelation and what hindered you before now is released to you now. And God is saying the only true institution that can influence the world is the church. But they're not living strategically and they're missing seasons and moments and times for what I'm doing in the earth. So guess what? We are not going to be fearful. It doesn't matter what the news, it doesn't matter what the forecast is. God is using the church through Jesus Christ to be the voice. And I don't know about you, but we ought to get excited. Because God said to Job, can you influence? And now Jesus says, I'm giving you the influence. That we have the ability to bind on earth. And it's already bound in heaven. And whatever we loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. And that is what you have. The keys to the kingdom of God. If you understand that, 
you wake up in the morning time and you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, good morning, good looking. You are blessed and you are beautiful. And I am going to influence my day. Not because I'm reading some horoscope, but I'm reading the word of God. And the word of God tells me that I will be the head and not the tail. The word of God tells me I will always be above and never beneath. The word of God tells me what can separate me from the love of God. The word of God tells me I'm healed in Jesus' name. The word of God says, count it all joy. Come on, somebody. The word of God says I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Help me, help me, church. The word of God says what? Come on. What is the word of God saying to you? What is the word of God saying to you? You have to declare the promises of God over and over and over and over again. The Bible says the promises of God are yes and amen. Every promise of God is yes and amen. The reason why we don't see some things come to pass is we have to be the one to say no to certain things. Not God. We have to say no to the lie from the enemy. No to what the enemy tries to tell us. No, I'm not going to do that. We have to be the one that says no. I will not break the rule. If Adam would have told that devil... No! Ooh, come on. Come on, come on, come on, somebody. Come on, you got to get a no on the inside of you. That when the enemy tells you a lie, no! Tells you you're not going to make it, tell the devil, no! You got to control your calendar. Come on, somebody. And you got to say, I got to say no to that because it will take me off of what God has for my, for my life, the strategic plan that God has for me.